It's not often you get to speak to a legend of journalism, but that's exactly what Travis and I got to do recently. And in this episode, we welcome investigative journalist John Stossel to the show. John's got a long history of reporting on network news channels and has recently finished a series covering the Silk Road incident. John challenges us both on a number of points and provides his thoughts and opinions on cryptocurrency, fake news, libertarian views, and more. We enjoyed the conversation, and we think you will too. So join us for what's going to be a thought-provoking episode number 93 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. You know, Mr. Joel Kahn, I am really excited that we finally have an insightful episode of Bad Crypto. Yeah, this might be the this might be the one that moves us from bad crypto to decent crypto or not so horrible you know crypto. Not so bad. Not so bad after all, crypto podcast. <laughs> well, as officially we are still the bad crypto podcast the show for crypto curious people crypto serious people and all the varying levels of whatever you are in between we are the blockchain blockheads the crypto clowns the crypto medians googling stuff so you don't have to and heard around the world in everywhere but north korea and uh, alpha centauri we are now entered into that galaxy it's very exciting uh, we're in multiple galaxies now and uh, the aliens love us. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're huge on Andromeda. <laughs> it's really good. We've only, we've only been abducted multiple times. And, uh, you know, after the first time, the anal probes aren't so bad. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that was bad. <laughs> Alrighty then. Uh, shout outs to our show sponsor, Staff Virtual. Um, I don't know if they provide any of those services, but they they How do help. They, <laughs> they do help with customer support, and uh, you know they they really are targeting companies in the crypto space. You know, if you want to make sure you have a good support team, whether you're conducting an ICO or or your company is live, you want to make sure you're providing support for your customers. And it's something that's sorely lacking in uh, in many industries, but especially the crypto space. Staff Virtual can solve that for you. They're all about pre-sales, brand awareness, customer support. If you're doing an ICO, think of your launch Think of the customers. Think of the children. Go to staffvirtual.com and check that out. Absolutely. You know why? You know why, Mr. Joel? Why? 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 Because why? 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 Experience is so important. And I think a lot of these crypto companies, they're just thinking about, oh, how can I make a token? How can I, how can I get really rich in this and, and add blockchain to this? And they don't actually go through and, and, and do an empathy map of your customers. They don't actually go through and, and view how the customers are going to, you know, you know, look at your business or how they're going to experience your business. And, you know, I wrote, I wrote a book about customer experience and I really think that's what's going to set the, the gold standard companies from just the rest of the ones and, and the coins that sort of over time fail. It's customer support and customer experience. And I'm just really big on it. And I think that staff virtual can help out if that's what you're looking for. Absolutely. And I uh, guess what's coming up very soon. Uh, the event in Austin, Texas. 
several events in Austin, Texas, actually. Yes. And look in the show notes for more about this. But the meetup um, now has over 900 RSVPs, the Bad Crypto Meetup at South by Southwest in Austin. So badco.in forward slash meetup. If you want to meet us there or at the Blockhouse, B-L-O-K-H-A-U-S dot V-I-P is the place to register for that. And we may have an announcement for another. I think we're extending our trip to do Bad Crypto Live um, at another event. But as of this taping, even though there's no tape involved, we don't have that nailed down. It should happen, though. And so we're going to be there all week. Yep, yep. And also, you know, the World Tokenomic Forum, a few episodes ago, we had uh, uh, Chris Snook, my co-author of Digital Sense, on, and we co-founding the World Tokenomic Forum. And we have the Blockhouse at uh, South by Southwest. So make sure to uh, come check that out. You can register for an invite. It's invite only. And I think there's only going to be a 100 or so people allowed in per day uh, over those three days. And so fill out that. It's block, B-L-O-K-H-A-U-S dot V-I-P. If you're going to be at South by or if you're in Austin, fill that out. And uh, we'd love to see you there. Lots of crypto stuff going down in the city of Austin. Yeah, and episode number 100 is coming up, at least numbered episode. I get, I don't know why I feel the need to explain this all the time, because we've already actually passed, way past 100 recordings, but numbered episode 100, uh, the celebration is coming up, and you're going to want to call into the Bad Crypto Hotline and get on the show and tell us whatever you want. Tell us how, what the show's meant to you. Tell us to stay bad. Come up with a, a funny, you know, comic bit that we can include. Ask a question. Um, you know, whatever. The number is 708-885-9030. And you might end up on the show just like this guy. Bad crypto voicemail. You have one new message. Hi, Keith from Belgium. I really just wanted to say that I love your show and also... Other only thing I wanted to say was magical internet. This is Dr. Claw. Stop supporting crypto. You're ruining my yacht plans. I'll get you, Joel and Travis, next time. Ooh, Dr. Claw. Very scary. I think he's trying to compete with fiat currency. Mm, I'm I'm really terrified. I'm so terrified, Mr. Jolcom. Uh, Chance has written us via the contact form, and he says, I have what I believe to be an idea that will disrupt in a productive way the automotive purchase incentive business. I've been following your show since Bitcoin was around $5,000 and love how you roll. Uh, Travis rolls better than I do. If you push him down a hill... Uh, his shape is more rolly. It's more inclined. Hey, fat shaming me, Joelcom. To, to the rolling. I don't appreciate well, you, your fatism. You age shame me, so you're an ageist. That's true. That's true. Um, so he says, I have zero knowledge of coding and less knowledge of applying for patents. My pro my question is, how do I even begin the process of taking my idea for tokenization and making it a thing I can present to the right people? Do I patent my idea first, form a company first? And uh, so so there's that um, good question. And uh, I don't know if we're business advisors, Travis, are we? Um, well, we are blockchain advisors. We have we do advise for a few blockchain companies. That's really part of the deal is you, you want to make sure that you have the team to, to pull it off. I mm -hmm. think, 
you know, the, the most successful companies, you know, and we had Ian Bellino on a few episodes ago. He says he did all this research. The most successful companies that have launched ICOs, 90% of them have a working prototype of some sort, and 65% of them plus have a phenomenal team. So you need to get yourself a great team. Uh, you know, start looking for people in, in groups. Start looking, maybe go to meetups in your area around crypto and blockchain, because I know that there's a lot of meetups popping up in different countries, and you didn't actually tell us where you were, so we can't direct you exactly where you should go. But, well, uh, but here, there's, definitely- there's this, Travis. You know, we Travis and I are advisors with uh, Decentranet, and they are a mm-hmm. company that helps bring ICO um, blockchain projects to, to ICO. And uh, you can check them out at decentranet.com. And there's a link to that in the show notes. In fact, they've brought, um, I think a couple of the ones we've had on our show to ICO, they brought uh, Loki to ICO. Uh, we've mm-hmm. had somebody from Securency on. Uh, we had uh, at Davos. We interviewed a gentleman from Impact PPA. Well, they've also done OneChain, which is huge. Yep. Yep. Uh, they've also had Singularity Net, uh, which is another ginormous one. And so, yeah, so you know what? Maybe reach out to them and maybe start formulating your idea a little more. Start uh, building out what it would look like in your mind and get clear on it. And then, and then send a shout out to the universe and the right people might start flowing in your path. In other words, get help. Get help. We all need some help. All right. Hey, before we jump into the feature, just a quick preface for this. You know, uh, a friend of the show, Naomi Brockwell, a.k.a. Bitcoin Girl, um, is a producer for John Stossel. He does videos every week. You know, John is an old school journalist. Um, he, you know, he's been on the Fox Business Network. He was a host on um, ABC's primetime news magazine show. Uh, 2020 co-anchoring there and he's contributed in-depth reports to networks um, you know over the years and and he is truly a a real investigative journalist and and Naomi produces helps produce his uh, videos and was able to connect us with John so that we could do this interview that you are about to listen to and uh, Travis suggested that we shoot this on video and so we did that. We recorded it on video. And so if you want to see the the talking heads that are myself, Travis, and Mr. John Stossel, go to the Bad Crypto Mastermind, and uh, you will find that video posted there. It's at badco.in forward slash mastermind. Mm-hmm. And they actually got the video before you guys got the podcast because they are in the mastermind, and they have masterminds. And so they get to see cool stuff before you. They do. So uh, let's go ahead and get to the feature segment with Mr. John Stossel. Mr. Travis Wright, I don't get starstruck too often, and it's not like I'm overly starstruck, but it's always super cool when you get to have somebody on the show who you followed and have admired for some time. And we are privileged to have with us the one, the only, the man who is one of the few true investigative journalists in this era, Mr. John Stossel. Uh, John, we're thrilled to have you here on Bad Crypto. Thank you, gentlemen. Yes, I think investigative journalism seems to be a dying breed, John. Uh, why do you think that's the case? Or maybe you don't think that's the case. Do you think that's the case? <laughs> I don't. It's certainly true that most of the media now barely checks anything out. And I, I 
make a video a week. So I'm not doing all that much investigation. We, we do bother to call the other side and many people don't even do that. And we do read up on our subjects before we report on them. But in the past, there wasn't all that much investigation. Much of what it was was just, we have to get the government in there to regulate this. And now there is ProPublica, which basically says that, uh, and a bunch of other left-wing sites that are funded to do investigations. The Atlantic just hired a bunch of new people who I trust will do investigations. So there are philanthropists who I think are replacing some of the work that the big networks used to do. So new, I mean, this whole term fake news, you know, without being overly political because we are a crypto show and uh, understand that there's people of a variety of bents, but there, on both sides, there really is this element of fake manufactured news. Depends what you call fake. I think much of the news is fake because it's hyping dubious risks. It's trying to get clicks by scaring people to death. So it's not an outright lie, but it's misleading. Uh, It just are so many forms of it. Mm -hmm. Because I'm a pain in the ass. Let me quibble with you. What's wrong with the word over? Why does everybody say overly? Over what's overly? Uh, what did I say that you made you say something. that? You said oh, I don't mean to be overly something, and I just am on a campaign to get people to say use instead of usage and over instead of overly. They I like to say underly. Uh, yeah, overly, I'm underly, and uh, we <laughs> get the, a lot of the Lee twins. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty solid. Um, <laughs> well. Go ahead, Trev. Yeah, one of the most pressing questions that we had, because we, we told our community that we were going uh, to interview you, and the most pressing one from Rick Rojas, he wanted to know who would win in a cage match between you and Geraldo Rivera. <laughs> it would be close because he's a boxer, gold gloves boxer. Oh. But I was a wrestler. And ah. generally the wrestlers can duck under the – the boxing and take him down. And so then I would win. But if he had a, had a takedown defense, then he would win. Maybe it'd just be the battle of the mustaches instead. Right. Cause his, his protrudes a little bit more, but John's is more finely quaffed. So let's, let's get to crypto. Um, When did you first become aware of Bitcoin and start going down this whole new currency model rabbit hole? Producer Maxim Lott, one of the people in my staff, told me about it and I gave the reaction that I think most people give, which is, huh? Uh, But eventually I had a guest on the show. I don't even remember who it was anymore. And it just made sense to me. I certainly wouldn't trust dollar bills with pictures of dead presidents on them. And I, over the years have invested in some gold and silver and not done well. Uh, there you go. So that was the little silver, silver coins. Yeah. But I thought Bitcoin made sense. About what year was that? It, the price was $9 when I had them on the show. <laughs> $9. That's, that's amazing. Now, you know, crypto had a really bad rap early on. And I think that it's finally shaking the bad rap because it seemed like most people believe that, 
only vagabonds and criminals and ne'er-do-wells were the ones that were using using and buying crypto. And to some extent, that was the case. And you had um, put together a really interesting piece on on Silk Road and and the story with Ross Ulbricht. And we've not actually talked about that ever on our show. We've had a, almost 100 plus episodes, I guess we've had. We've never actually do- dove too deeply into that particular topic. Now, what do you think maybe shifted? Uh, do you think that the Silk Road investigation and closing down, is that something that helped Bitcoin and crypto move more mainstream to, to shake that, that negative image? I wouldn't think so. The, the, his site has been replaced by a bunch of sites which are dealing in more illegal stuff. So uh, the fact that the authorities brag about shutting one down and then another one down if their FaceTime on TV makes no difference and shouldn't affect cryptocurrencies, I don't think. And, you know, shady people use cash, too. Mm-hmm. They do. Suitcases full of it. I've seen the movies. It's always in a suitcase. That's true. So uh, tell us a story about this, because we haven't gone that deep in the Silk Road, and you've done a lot of research. So let's kind of go back to the beginning what was the Silk Road? This is this libertarian kid, nerdy kid, as many of us libertarians are, who decided he that the laws against drugs were immoral and government shouldn't use force on adults who wanted to get intoxicated. And he would use his technical knowledge to create a site that would let people buy stuff without these same government controls. And this was uh, Ross, Ross Ulbricht. Ross Ulbricht. Okay. The Dread Pirate Robbins or something, right? He took the name Dread Pirate Roberts after... Uh, a Princess Bride, right? Princess Bride, a character in the movie who is a good guy. And he thought of himself as a good guy, and I think he is largely a good guy. He's been accused of hiring hitmen to have people killed who he thought were stealing from him. But his mother argues somewhat convincingly that the government never charged him with that at his trial. And it could easily be planted by some of these government agents who turned out to be crooked later as well. So if he thought he was having people killed, he's a bad guy, but we don't know that for sure. And mainly he was, allowing people to buy intoxicants as they should be allowed to do. You know, it's, it's, it's such a fascinating thing is that it's almost seems like in this culture now, all we have to do is blame somebody of something and then, you know, it ruins their career or can ruin their life. It's so, so fascinating how we've gone down that road. Guilty until proven innocent, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that the kind of, it's kind of flipped it. It seems like that's, that, that's happened. Wow. He he was enabling the sale of a lot of illegal stuff. Mm-hmm. He thought because of crypto, the government would never find him, but he made a mistake and used his real name on an internet chat site, and that got him caught. Mm-hmm. Is that how the FBI found that private server for the Silk Road? Yes. Mm-hmm. And if you want to watch my video on this, it's on YouTube. Yeah, and we'll we'll definitely link to that um, in the show notes at uh, badcryptopodcast.com dot com so that so that people can see it. How did the bust actually go down? 
in San Francisco. I, he, I don't know. I forget. He got arrested. But he, he was, he is an American uh, yeah. living in the U S when this happened. Yes. And this is how crypto got really such a bad, bad rap, right? It's, you know, the media pumping up that people are using this new currency for illicit means. That's part of it. A lot of people, anything outside government control makes them nervous and has the opposite effect on me. But uh, it, it wouldn't have just been Silk Road because people use cryptocurrency on a lot of other underground sites. Hmm. It's so true. And it's, and it's the space as it's evolved, right? You know, you, the government likes to control things. I mean, if, if, if you understand how the Federal Reserve System works and how fiat currency system works, then you, I think you have a different perspective on, oh, crypto can work really well. Most people don't seem to know the term fiat currency, which is strange to me. That's like a term that, you know, even people who have gone through, I was actually talking to a friend of mine who has an MBA in economics, and he was never taught the term fiat currency. He was looking at me like I was, like I was crazy. And it seems like it's almost institutional dumbing down to keep that fact that, the moneymakers can just print money out of thin air. And it seems like cryptocurrency kind of scares them. What do you think? We shouldn't call it fiat currency. We should call it thin air currency. <laughs> yeah, what is this? I'm, I'm holding here in my hand, John, and those watching video can see, this is a $100 bill that um, on the front of it is is Benjamin Franklin. And it's got this stripe in it. It says 100 in the back. It says the United States of America and God we trust. What is this thing that I'm actually holding here? A piece of paper that the U.S. government says is worth $100, and that's it. And if you look at the numbers, it's just basic arithmetic. They are promising to pay Social Security and Medicare to people my age, and we rudely refuse to die. And there are so many of us, and we're living longer. There is just no way, and Trump isn't cutting any spending not fair. He's hardly cutting spending, but he's cutting taxes. So where's the money going to come from? My suspicion is when it comes time to pay my medical bills, they'll print more money and they'll give me $1,000. And the next week it will cost $2,000 to have the same procedure. And people will be running around as they did in Weimar, Germany, with wheelbarrows full of money. And those paper dollars won't be worth much. Yeah, how long, you know, it's, I read a great book called The Everything Bubble. And it walked through, you know, how we got to where we are now and then where the author thinks that it's going. And what happened was, you know, we took the, the, tech, the tech stocks and all the stock bubbles. And then, then we added the housing bubble. And then now we have the treasury notes, bills and bonds. And now they're all into this one big, you know, bubble and have all these derivatives and stuff and they've kind of propped them up and they says the economy seems sort of propped up and uh, the author didn't have too much faith that, you know, our economy is going to last that much longer without the bubble sort of bursting and having a much bigger wave than we had in 2008. I wanted to get your perspective on that. I mean, how do we think the economy is doing and is there a big bubble that is in danger of, of busting? I don't lump them all together in the same bubble. We, we had an internet bubble, but it burst and good new companies grew out of it. And 
when at first things got cheaper and good things were invented, like Diet Coke was invented uh, in 82, I believe, after the bursting of the bubble. You can't possibly be an aspartame fan, though. I am. <laughs> it's going to kill you, I tell you. <laughs> I thought it was interesting, but maybe it's aspartame. And the housing bubble's bad. The, the words you use that I react to most is propped up. And because we give a special deduction for a mortgage, which other countries don't do, and they have higher rates of homeownership, so it's not necessary at all that we do this, uh, that props up the housing market. And then when money gets tight, it's true, there may be a crash. But to me, that's very different from the budget deficit and the promising of things to old people and the politicians aren't going to stiff us because we vote. And that to me is what will lead to the printing of money. And, and uh, this is fun. This is from Zimbabwe, a (laughs) bill, but uh, will will we have that here? Maybe a billion dollars. Well, you know, in Zimbabwe, it's not unusual for the price of Bitcoin to be higher than it is here. Um, I'm not sure what it is at this moment, but you know, as as we're doing this interview, uh, it's going to actually air uh, more than a week from now. But as of right now, Bitcoin's taking another dip. It's at about ten thousand uh, dollars. I'm curious what your your crystal ball says about the future of Bitcoin and crypto in in general. I don't presume to have a crystal ball. I sold a bunch when it got above the price it is now, fortunately, because something that goes up that much so fast makes me nervous. Mm -hmm. It was parabolic. I mean, we were like, oh my gosh, it's hit $5,000. That's amazing. Whoa, $8,000. Oh, it's almost at 10, 10, 11, 12, like 19,000. Like what? That was like in in such a short time period that our heads were spinning. Uh, I've never seen- it was so much fun just to check it every morning and then say to people, you want me to buy you something on uh, <laughs> what's the catalog that takes Bitcoin uh, overstock? Overstock, yeah. Yeah, we've had, uh, we've had Patrick Byrne on the show to d- discuss that before. They were visionary in accepting it early and we're kind of waiting. Amazon, hello, when are you going to start taking crypto? Uh, but are, are you bullish long run? I'm not saying the next week, the next month, maybe not even this year, but do you feel that crypto is, is here to stay and blockchain is going to revolutionize everything? I'm sure Bitcoin and some of the cryptocurrencies are here to stay, but I, I, if, if I thought it was going to grow, I'd buy more. If I thought it was going to totally bust, I would sell what I have left. So I, I, I don't know. I certainly think it's a good thing to have to diversify because you don't want to trust dollar bills. Mm-hmm. And speaking back of the dollar bills, I mean, to what extent can decentralized crypto, you know, competing currencies, you know, prevail against the centralized banking system that fiat currency provides the federal reserve bank, the IMF, the world bank. I mean, it's all this centralized banking. How do we think that decentralized this, this, this cryptocurrencies can actually win against the, the ingrained system? Yes, because there's a limit to how many you can have, which is not true of paper dollars. 
So, so the, that question is a follow-up, which is a bigger question about this wave, right? There is a kind of a revolution that's taking place in the way that we transact. And of course, on one side, you have some governments and banking financial institutions that are want the system, the status quo to stay as is. And on the other side, you have we, the people that are saying, you know, the way things are isn't exactly working. We think there's a better way. Who prevails in that system? Can this new way of doing things truly be a revolution that changes the whole system? Why would it change the whole system? Wouldn't it just be an alternative to the existing system? And if it was better, more people would prefer it. Well, I mean, if the banks are resisting it, there's a reason. They have the power, right? The, the government has the power to, to print the money. And if all of a sudden the power is in the hands of the people, what happens to the existing system? Beats me. He <laughs> <laughs> does not have the crypto ball. The, the, the crypto crystal ball. <laughs> the crypts, crypto ball. Also, you're just talking about it in terms of Zero sum in terms of somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that's the case. I think many of the banks oppose it because they can't get their heads around it. As soon as they see it as a viable way to transact commerce, then they'll jump in. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you think it's going to take for crypto to reach mass adoption? Because a lot of people, they still think crypto's bad. Bitcoin's evil. It's the devil. Only criminals use it. And in some cases, you know, Joel and I have had conversations where it seems kind of like, um, you know, some of the stuff is kind of difficult when you first start to wrap your brain around crypto. Like, wow, I got to take this and I have these private keys and I got to store this there. and move. I, it's kind of confusing to some people. It almost seems like, the old DOS operating system, you know, it's not quite as user-friendly as it could be down the road. And so what are maybe some of the things that you think about, um, you know, as a, as, a, as a boomer that would lead to more mass adoption of cryptocurrencies? I think as more people use them, as more stores take them, these things gradually get accepted. I'm always amazed by how slow the change is. You look at the movie The Blind Side, the book by Michael Lewis about how the left tackle, a guard in football, they were get, making 50000 bucks a year. Football is so competitive. Uh, you'd think they would adjust the prices immediately, but it took many years before they woke up to the fact that the quarterbacks who were worth so much to them were getting clobbered. And if they protected them on the blind side, they would make a lot of money. And suddenly the guards are, are making millions of dollars. But it just took years for that to happen, even in pro football. Charter school, school choice. I thought as soon as parents saw that Johnny down the street liked going to school because he's going to Success Academy in New York or some other independent school, then everybody would clamor for these choices and there would soon be a real market in K through 12 education. But they've only penetrated maybe 10% of the government run schools so far. So the public takes a long time to change. The fact that prices have gone up so much and there are some young kids who are billionaires, that gets people's attention. But until it's an easy transaction for ordinary people, Growth will be slow, but there will be growth. 
John, you, you do work with uh, Fox Business Network and you used to uh, work with co-anchored, uh, you know, 2020 and have done investigative journalism and reported on stories for a number of years. I'm curious, what are you fascinated with right now, crypto or not crypto? Just, you know, what, what is, has your attention that you are really diving into? The internet bubble that people are so angry because they are being fed confirmation bias and they just hate the other side. And until people start looking to understand why the other side feels the way it does, it's going to be difficult. Now that you, you bring up an interesting point because it almost seems that the divide is intentional. It seems like the media fuels that it's almost like, now we're at a point where it's, you know, white versus black, white, you know, right versus left, men versus women, you know, all these other, there's so many different ways they try to, you know, divide us against each other. And it seems like if, if we could only unite and realize, hey, it's the system that's, that's, that's bringing us this crap, let's make the world a better place and do good stuff together and work together. Uh, it's almost like people get fed in and they buy into that. Like, yeah, screw you, screw you too. Like, it's, it's actually the Japanese's fault because they had that Godzilla versus Mothra film. Oh, they I had all those 60s. Yeah, yeah maybe that's that what set it off. What, what's the question, uh, Travis? I was like, you know, what do you, what do you think is, is the, the solution to that? I mean, how, how do we stop being so divisive and uh, wake up people's you know, confirmation bias and, and wake people up? when people are aware that they're in a bubble and they start reaching out. I have an app on my phone called Reach Across the Aisle. It only works on iPhones, but it lists media from left to right, Huffington Post, farthest on the left, Fox News, farthest on the right, and encourages you to see what the other side says. And I think eventually there will be more apps that will offer people a way to see the other side they're not seeing. I had a fun experience in New York during the presidential primary campaign where my son, who is 30, and his friends were shocked that Hillary had won the primary because on their feeds, it was obvious that Hillary was bad and Bernie was great and everybody was voting for Bernie. And in their world, it was impossible that Bernie could have lost. And it was a nice jolt of reality for them. And we all need that. But I think you keep talking about the system. I don't, there's no single system. And unfortunately what's causing some of these problems is my beloved market. The reason there's so much black against white men against women is because it sells. Anger makes you want to check it out. And nobody's out by the back fence gossiping about who's, spouse who's being faithful to their spouse it's about who's cheating and that sells you know that that's interesting because travis you posted a story you know uh, the the tragic shooting that just happened in parkland florida has been all over the news and uh, travis you made a post on facebook about um, somebody a security guard that protected uh, you know something else tragic from happening and that's an event in whittier california and they, yeah, they'd overheard the kid said he was going to attack the school and they went to his house and there was just all kinds of arsenals of weapons and that barely got a blip on the media. Yeah. Good news is not news. If the plane crashes, it's news. 
it's pretty amazing that every minute thousands of planes are flying close to each other and they don't crash, but that's not news. This just in, flight 454 landed safely. <laughs> Over to the weather. <laughs> the weather's good. Everybody's happy. And, and, D1 yeah, sports game. <laughs> it doesn't sell uh, toothpaste and toilet paper. Uh, good news, unfortunately, doesn't. We're, we like the, the sensational. Um, I, w- I want to go back to Silk Road for just a moment because uh, for those that don't know, Ross uh, Ulbrook received a, uh, a life sentence in prison for his quote-unquote crime. And I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying that's what it is. Do you... Without parole. Without parole. And I met his mother at a, um, a crypto conference in San Francisco last year, and there's a, a big free Ross campaign. What do you think of that sentencing? And, uh, and do you think that when you have without parole, how do you change? How do you get him out? You don't. He's most likely in jail forever. And he got a longer sentence than mass murderers get. And... It's not fair. And the judge said she was sending a message to teach people a lesson, which was pointless because, as I mentioned, there are many more sites now selling many more illegal drugs than Ross's site sold. So law enforcement hasn't accomplished anything on that front. Is the FBI going after those or are they kind of like this is too big for us and they're, they're working on other things? I assume they're going after them, but if they're well protected, then some of them won't be found, and then new ones will appear anywhere. It's hmm. amazing. Why drugs should be legal? Mm. Well, you, no. yeah, you come from a libertarian bent. Um, what does it say? You know, and because you contribute to to Fox News, and you said you know they're the furthest on the right. What does it say about them that uh, you know they have you on there? It says that they are open minded enough. To to have different points. Yeah, I I went on the air and said gay marriage should be fine and we spend too much on the military and homosexuality is fine and prostitution should be legal and not just weed, but all drugs should be legal once you're an adult because we ought to own our own body. And the only time anybody got mad at me was when I did a show debating the existence of God and it aired close to Christmas. I was told that, that was needlessly insensitive, but I have not been censored on Fox. On the other hand, Bill O'Reilly, when I was on his show and Sean Hannity maybe would discuss drug legalization once or twice, but they didn't want to talk about it either. The left doesn't want to talk to the right and the right doesn't want to hear arguments from the left. We are in our bubbles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw I saw a really interesting video a couple of days ago by this gentleman um, Jeff Berwick, and he was talking about how you know we should be able to govern ourselves. I mean, like I, if I want to put marijuana in my lungs, I should pretty much be able to do that. I'm not harming anyone else, and as long as you're not harming anyone else, you, you should be able to do that. We don't we, we don't need to live in a necessarily a nanny state and. And a lot of what you just said right there, it's like, I think I lean more libertarian um, or just, I'm almost politically agnostic because I just, I want the truth. I want, you know, what's best for, for people. I'm not stuck on one side or the other one. I, I, I'm a critical thinker and I look at all the issues independently. And I think that it seems like a lot of people just 
they don't necessarily do analysis on them. They just get told what to think. And then they kind of think that if they say it enough on the media, then they, they sort of, sort of buy into that kind of stuff. So what was, what was some of the, um, the turning points that, that, that led you to, to become a libertarian? I watched government regulation fail. I am a consumer reporter and I used to cheer on the regulators. Mm -hmm. Yes. Government's going to fix this or, the trial lawyers are going to punish the bad company and make things better. But the trial lawyers just enriched themselves and the products the company sold cost more because they had to pay the lawyers. Government just made things slower and more complex. And I soon saw that in a free society, the way to get really rich is by serving your customers well, by giving people what we want. And if we leave that alone, that protects consumers much better than government intervention. And I just want to quibble with your point about as long as you don't hurt somebody else, because the opponents of drug legalization will say, oh, but the drug users are hurting other people. They are driving stone or they're wrecking their family. But it's sort of like talking about crypto versus dollar bills. It's, it's blaming the wrong thing. If you drive recklessly, you should be punished for that. If you mm -hmm. hurt your family, you should be punished for that. But banning the substance just makes it harder to get, more expensive, creates a black market underground that's so much more dangerous. Alcohol prohibition created Al Capone, an organized mm -hmm. crime. Today, you don't have wine gangs or nicotine gangs. Nobody's robbing 7-Elevens to get marbles. It's the law that creates the crime. Mm. And we, we're not going to be governing ourselves anytime uh, in the near future. Uh, I would argue I'm not a pure anarchist. I think you need government for defense. And since we have a welfare state, you need border controls. And some people want to murder us. You need that. And you need some pollution controls. Mm. So you need some government. But what percent of the economy should it be? We, the dollar wouldn't be losing value if government were 20% of the economy. It's now 40% and growing unsustainable. Wow. When America started and grew for the first 100 years, when we went from third world to first world, government was less than 1% of the economy. Interesting. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm uh, not a conservative or a liberal or even a libertarian. I'm a cryptotarian. And uh, I'm on the crypto diet. Um, it's, yeah, trying to get fat with crypto. Uh, John, <laughs> we really appreciate you coming on. Want to respect your time. Uh, just uh, one last question for you before uh, we, we let you go. And that is, we talk a lot about getting people to think. You know, Travis mentioned critical thinking. What recommendations do you have for the general public for them to be as woke as possible so that sides can talk to one another and we can mend fences and build bridges. It's very tough. I'm making a video a week trying to make people think in, about these ideas in a fun way. That's all I know how to do. So I've got no suggestions for you. Yeah. And we love you for that. Thank you for helping, you know, inform and, and make people think. That's, that's great. It's one of the main reasons why we wanted to have you on the show because of the, the great work you've done in your career. So thank you for that. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and uh, if you guys want to go subscribe, um, the YouTube channel will link to in the show notes. It looks like your username is Rick John Twelve Thousand. How did you end up with that? Uh, beats me, and <laughs> the uh, 
the, it's just John Stossel on Facebook or Twitter or, or YouTube. Excellent. Well, John, thanks again for, uh, for fighting the good fight and getting out there and producing content to uh, win over hearts and minds. Thank you, guys. And I'm putting the piece of tape back on the computer camera. <laughs> See ya. You know, Trev, that was really interesting talking to John. He he has his own thoughts and opinions, and he challenged us on a number of points. You know, corrected us. Hey, you know, why? Do you, I'm not sure that word thinks what you means what you think it means. You know, it's kind of like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. He did. Kind of, he kind of seemed like a a journalist school marm. He uh, he smacked us in the place, which was nice. Yeah, I, I like to be challenged, and I don't mind being corrected. And and I learned some things talking from him. Uh, and, you know, you may agree with the things he said. You may not. But you know what? This is what freedom of speech is, is about, freedom of expression. Um, there's opinions, and we're not here to tell you what to think. We are here to help you think, to encourage you to think, to say, hey, you know, the things you think you believe, why do you believe what you believe? Can you uh, put words to it? Right. Can you even not eloquently, are you able to explain why you believe what you believe or do you believe what you believe just because it's passed down from, you know, your parents or teachers or something you read in the media? We want to we want to encourage everybody to think for themselves and come to conclusions, not based on their pre-existing notions or their their bias. But what is Mm-hmm. Think for yourself, cause I won't be there for you. Yeah. So on, on top of that, I would say, yeah, you know, you're right on. Why do we think the way we think? Well, culture, uh, there's narratives that we see over and over and over again. And if you hear the same thing over and over again, you start believing it. There's dogma that we grow up with. There's this religious dogma that we yeah. have. There's, there's yeah. there's catma there's hamsterma there's uh you know indoctrination in school i mean it's so wow. true you know we go through 12, 12 years of uh of government compliance and sitting in sitting in classes and being told what to think and being told to regurgitate these facts not necessarily being told how to think or what to think um or you know it's mostly here's regurgitate these facts tell us what we told you and we'll give you good grades and so you know what that's why we really like to say, you know what, if you agree with us or if you don't agree with us on some things, that's great. If everybody was the same, that would be really boring and homogenous. So we think, think for yourself. Let's all think for ourselves. And you know what? Let's agree to disagree agreeably at times, but let's feel free to have these discussions because if you don't have these discussions sometimes, then, you know, people might go on believing things that aren't true. So I like to help wake people up if I can and make the world a better place if I can. I'm offended. That you I'm, glad. I'm glad that you feel offended. That makes me feel like I've done a great job today of making somebody think. You know what else people should know? They should know that all of all the other things that they can choose to do after listening to this episode of all the places they could go of all the people they can talk to of all the activities that they can participate in the only one that really matters is that they stay bad who's bad 
The Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of Bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.